Volume three, chapter eleven of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume three, chapter eleven. Old Max looked up at his visitor over the great tortoise shell spectacles on his nose. He had a large Bible open on the table before him. The large Bible was placed there every evening, and on Sunday evenings any other mundane volume which might chance to be lying in the parlor was carefully removed out of sight to be restored to the light of day on Monday morning. This was the custom of the house, and had been so for years. It had obtained all through the Methodist days, and now lasted under the new Orthodox dispensation. Since old Max had his spectacles on, it was to be supposed that he had been reading, and since there was no other printed document within sight, not even an almanac, it was clear that he could have been reading nothing but his Bible. And yet it was nearly an hour since he had turned the page before him. He had been dozing, sitting up in his chair by the fire. This had latterly become a habit with him whenever he was left alone in the evening, and once, even, he had fallen into a sleep, or a stupor, in the midst of the assembled family, and on awakening had been lethargic in his movements, and dazed in his manner for some time. He was quite awake now, however, as he peered sharply at Diamond over his glasses. The latter found some little difficulty in beginning his communication, not being assisted by a word from old Max, who stared at him silently. "'I have a few words to say to you, Mr. Maxfield.' "'If you are at leisure to hear them,' he said at length. "'If it's anything in the nature of business communication, "'I can't attend to it now,' returned old Max deliberately. "'It has been a rule of mine through life "'to transact no manner of business on the Lord's day, "'and I have found it prosper with me.' "'No, no, it is not a matter of business, Mr. Maxfield,' "'said Diamond, smiling, but not quite at his ease. "'Then he sat down and told his errand. "'Maxfield listened in perfect silence.' "'May I hope, Mr. Maxfield, that you will give us your consent and approbation?' asked Diamond, after a pause. "'You're pretty glib, sir. I must know a little more about this matter before I can give an answer one way or another.' "'You shall know all that I can tell you, Mr. Maxfield. Indeed, I do not see what more I have to say. I have explained to you what my prospects in life are. I have told you every particular, with the most absolute fullness and candour. As to my feelings for your daughter, I don't think I could fully express that if I talked to you all night.' "'What did my daughter say to you?' "'She she told me that she was willing to be my wife, "'but that it must depend upon your consent.' "'Rhoda has always been a very dutiful daughter. "'There's not many like Rhoda.' "'I appreciate her, Mr. Maxfield. "'You may believe that I do most heartily appreciate her. "'I have long known that all my happiness "'depended on winning Rhoda for my wife. "'I have loved her long. "'But, of course, I could not venture to ask her to marry me, "'or to ask you to give her to me, "'until I had some prospect of a home to offer her.' "'Ah!' "'And this prospect now? You aren't sure about it?' "'No, I am not quite sure.' "'And supposing you don't get the place, how then?' "'Why then, Mr. Maxfield, I should look for another. "'If you will give your consent to my engagement to Rhoda, "'I am not afraid of not finding a place in the world for her. "'I have a fair share of resolution. "'I am industrious and well-educated. "'I am not quite thirty years old. "'If you will give me a word of encouragement, I shall be sure to succeed.' "'Headmaster of Dorrington Proprietary School, eh?' "'Will that be a place like Dr. Bodkin's?' "'Something of that kind, only not so lucrative. "'Dr. Bodkin is thought a good deal of in Whitford. "'Mr. Maxfield, may I hope for a favourable answer from you before I go?' "'Old Max struck his hand sharply on the table as he exclaimed, almost with a snarl, "'I will not be hurried, sir, nor be made to speak rashly, "'and without duly pondering and meditating my words.' "'Then he added in a different tone, "'You are glib, sir, mighty glib.' "'Do you know what Miss Maxfield will have to her portion, if I choose to give it to her?' "'No, Mr. Maxfield, I do not, nor do I care to know. 
i would take her to my heart to-morrow if she would come although she were the poorest beggar in the world and would you take her without my consent i would if you had no reasonable grounds for withholding it you would steal my daughter away without my consent i said nothing about stealing i should not think of deceiving you in the matter i think you must acknowledge that i am speaking to you pretty frankly at any rate maxfield could not but acknowledge to himself that the young man was honest and straightforward and spoke fairly he was well looking too and had the air of a gentleman although there was not a trace about him of the peculiar airy elegance the graceful charm of face and figure which made algernon errington so attractive neither had he algernon's gifts of flattery so adroitly conveyed as to appear unconscious nor what might under the present circumstances have served him equally well with the old tradesman algernon's good-humoured way of taking for granted his own incontestable social superiority over the whitford grocer maxfield has his doubts as to whether this young man ex-usher at the grammar school a fellow who went about to people's houses and gave lessons for money could prove to be a fine enough match for his rhoda even though he should become headmaster at dorrington maxfield had so set his heart on seeing rhoda made a lady of in the phraseology of his class i shall have some conversation with my daughter and let you have my answer after that sir said he looking half sullenly half thoughtfully at the suitor and as there will be questions of figures to go into maybe i am not willing to consider the subject more at length on the lord's day but i am bound to confess that this was an afterthought on old max's part when diamond had gone the old man sent for his daughter to come to him to the parlour you can take yourself off betty grimshaw said he to that respectable spinster very unceremoniously you and james can bide in the kitchen till supper's ready when it is come and tell me rhoda came in answer to her father's summons very calmly she had of course expected it she had quite got over the agitation of the interview with her lover and was her usual sweet placid self again yes she said mr diamond had asked her to marry him and she was willing to marry him if her father would consent she believed mr diamond loved her very much and she liked him very much she had been afraid of him once because he was so very learned and clever and seemed rather proud and stern but he was really extremely gentle when you came to know him she was sure he would be kind to her it's not a thing to decide upon all in a moment rhoda said her father no father but i have thought of it for some time past answered rhoda simply the old man looked at her with a slight feeling of surprise rhoda has a vast deal of common sense thought he she has some of my brains inside that pretty brown head of hers that is so like her poor mother's then he said aloud you see this mr diamond is nobody after all a schoolmaster well that's no great shakes dr bodkin is a schoolmaster father dr bodkin is rector of st chad's and doctor of divinity and a man of substance besides mr diamond is a gentleman father everybody allows that do you think you could be happy to be his wife rhoda as he asked this question her father's voice was almost tender and he placed his hand gently on her head yes father i think so he would take care of me and be good to me and guide me right and he would never put himself between you and me father i mean he would wish me always to be dutiful and affectionate to you well rhoda we must consider and i hope the lord will send me wisdom in the matter i would fain see thee happy before i am called away god bless thee child jonathan maxfield turned the matter in his mind during the watches of the night with much anxious consideration according to his lights in social status there was truly not much to complain of he thought a man in a position like that of dr bodkin who should have money of his own or of his wife's to render him independent of the profits of his place might come to be a personage of importance and money there will be more than i think for said old max to himself 
the young man seemed to worship rhoda as he ought she had shown herself to be very dutiful very honest very sensible on this occasion he's out and away a better man than that other one lives clear and clean before the world and is ashamed to look no man in the face thus old max reflected and it will be seen that his reflections tended more and more to favour the acceptance of matthew diamond as his son-in-law yes he should be glad to see rhoda safe and happy under a husband's care before he died and yet and yet he felt as the prosperous wooer had felt a dim sense of dissatisfaction old max could not be accused of being sentimental but he had looked forward to rhoda's marriage as an occasion of triumph and exultation if she found a husband whom he approved of he would be large and generous in his dealings with them he would show the world that rhoda maxfield was no tokerless lass but an heiress courted and sought after and destined to belong to a sphere far above that of whitford shopkeepers now the husband had been found he had almost made up his mind as to that but there was no exultation certainly no triumph rhoda was so cool and quiet very sensible oh admirably sensible but in a word the whole affair seemed a little flat and chilly of all the three personages chiefly interested rhoda was the only one who was conscious of no disappointment End of chapter eleven